Welcome to Say What? A Fresh Look at Old Sayings, the podcast which explores the origins, meaning, and value of old sayings, familiar expressions, and adages. I'm Dave Ellingson, adventurer, author, educator, and seeker of wisdom. Today's guest on Say What? A Fresh Look at Old Sayings and our series on life journeys is Pastor Kelly Chapman. Kelly and I have known each other for a long time, so I've seen elements of this journey and even been a part of those elements. But just very briefly, when I would describe Kelly, he's a pastor. He has been a, um, uh, a teacher. He's been the head of youth ministry in the Lutheran Church nationally. He was the, the dean of a private school out here in the Northwest a uh, number of years ago. He's been an advisor to bishops in the church. Um, and now in his <laughs> retirement, his third act, he is uh, the director of the Center for Leadership and uh, Neighborhood Engagement. Kelly, you must be at least 104. Oh, yeah, thank you for that, Dave. Yeah, <laughs> You've had quite a life and quite a journey. Um, kind of tell us um, about that life journey, uh, some of the key people, influences, some of the mentors, uh, some of the twists and turns, maybe a, maybe a detour or two on that amazing story. Yeah. Well, one of the things <clears throat> that um, really impacted my life is as a youth, uh, my family had moved from this, um, the agricultural segregated south to the industrial um, north. And I was four years old and, and our church, well, we didn't really go to church because our parents uh, had uprooted themselves in our family. And, uh, and I'm, as a youth, I wandered into a church that happened to be Lutheran and, and experienced a welcome there that I had not known before. And so that, that was an entrance into me, into the church, <clears throat> you know, faith community as an organization. And so a lot of things that I learned there and the power of invitation and inviting my, my friends from the neighborhood uh, to experience the church. You know, the church had a gym, and, and uh, my pastor would uh, um, let me bring my friends to the church. I didn't realize it at the time, but he gave me, uh, he lived in the parsonage next door. And, uh, and I knock on his door and invite my friends into the church. Who I don't, to this day, I don't know if they actually had a church of their own. Um, and we go and we play basketball for hours. And it wasn't until I was an adult probably had graduated from college, but I realized that my pastor had given me the keys to the church mm. and how that empowered me. And I think that how that's a metaphor for my life and how I understand youth ministry, uh, confirmation, that really when we're at our best, it really is about giving people the keys to the church and then how we're empowered to uh, kind of articulate what that looks like, um, uh, whether it's sitting in a pew or, you know, using the gym or um, uh, handing out food. 
come. Really, you know, that the baptism the baptism of all believers is really about giving people the keys to the church. So that was really important for me. And then uh, my journey goes on uh, to go to a um, what uh, a Lutheran high school uh, that in the midst of all this segregation uh, that was I experienced in Detroit. That scholarship um, was the invitation for me to go to a, a college prep Lutheran school uh, that in many ways was an abandonment of the city. And I learned so much from being one of uh, two black students in a student body of, of 600. Mm. Uh, I learned a lot about privilege and segregation and uh, how the advantage that, that white students had over, um, over you know, the black students. And, um, and so uh, learning from that, wrestling from that, and at the same time being a part of that community um, was another uh, preparation for life. And, uh, and it, it wasn't easy, not because of, you know, like uh, victimization or anything, but just the experience of seeing what privilege looked like and the barrier that that was for those uh, who are not privileged. And so today, uh, it's a real challenge when, uh, when you talk about race, racism and white supremacy and the church to be able to have that difficult conversation, not from a place of blame or shame, but to raise consciousness for white people. Of, they just don't know what it's like for non-white people to navigate a social structure um, that where they're so privileged and not able to begin to see um, the disadvantage and the inequity of that. Um, and particularly being now here in Minnesota where uh, uh, George Floyd was killed and how that just opened up a huge conversation um, and, the, and the challenge is how long is that window open to be a conversation uh, rather than a retreat back to those places of comfort, particularly for our, our congregations that are predominantly white. When I say our congregations, I'm not, I'm not just talking about Lutheran, I'm talking about Presbyterian, Episcopalian, Lutheran, all of those churches that are rooted as ethnic churches and, um, and, and their love and, and, uh, and um, adherence to what it means to be church still being very much rooted in, in that Eurocentric in it, lineage. So that's a long answer to your short question. <laughs> you, it's an interesting last uh, phrase you used, uh, rooted in uh, sort of that European tradition, and, and you also spoke of white privilege. What are the ways that perhaps um, I, as a white person or other uh, folks who, who have not had much experience working in multicultural or multi-ethnic settings, what are, what are the ways that, um, that perhaps they don't see, but that could 
alert them to this uh, privilege that they have? I think it's a limitation of exposure and or just to be aware of how much it, this of it is a setup. That, um, that really wonderful, well-meaning white people not seeing how, how much they are set up to not see um, the, the value, the worth, or the, or the privilege that, that they swim in. And uh, it's just, it's such a challenge because um, I'm trying to think of his name right now. Um, Brian Stevenson, uh, um, who wrote the book Just Mercy and spoke at the youth gathering um, the last time we were able to have a youth gathering. There's uh, a wonderful part about talking about proximity. And there's so many ways that white people have the disadvantage of not being in proximity to diversity. Um, a, a story that I saw, I went to a, a Lutheran private college right out of high school. And, uh, and many of my friends, most of my friends were white. That was uh, uh, predominantly what the student body was. And um, a couple of my white friends, uh, females, one said to another that when she graduates from school and, and has a home, she said to a friend that me, said Kelly is somebody that I wouldn't mind living next door to me. <laughs> and, and it struck me that here we were in college, not yet having a job, not yet having families, and already, She's imagining about who has, who, who is worthy of living next door to her. Mm. And I think about to grow up with that kind of a sense of what the picture of the world is supposed to be like, mm. and that and to have that sense of being able to define what that world and who is worthy to be. It's like my point wasn't about her; it, it was about just thinking that far in advance about privilege, you know, that far in advance about who should live next door to you. I mean, I can't imagine as a person of color thinking about who's going to be in my dorm room next door, let alone <laughs> projecting, you know, that far into the future. Yeah, it's almost a luxury to imagine you know, uh, when you're in college and white, you know, where will I live? What will my job be? With a certain sense of ease, if you will, you know, that w I hope I can live in this suburb area. And, and for a person of color, oftentimes, <laughs> that thinking that far ahead is not a luxury. It's like, how do I get through today? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that makes me think of Holden Village. I love Holden Village. And you know, it's a retreat up in the Chelan mountain range, and, uh, as you know. And, uh, and when I lived in Portland, uh, pastored a congregation there, I would bring urban kids, African-American kids, and others from Portland to Holden Village for a week. And, and it's such a, um, a poetic uh, a place to be. 
but realizing that when our kids from Portland would get off the boat and, and take the bus ride up to the top of the mountain, um, the anxiety that they had, <laughs> because what we're taught as people of color, that it's out in the wilderness where the, the, uh, the white supremacists are and the, uh, and the Ku Klux Klan. And, and so the, 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 the mountains is a place of vulnerability. Mm. And so when the, when the kids got off that bus and they saw that Holden was literally a village with the buildings, the relief of the kids to see <laughs> that they would be in a place that looked a little bit more like the city. I mean, there's just so much time and how the world is skewed toward those who are privileged. And so how do we begin to have equitable conversations or equitable relationships? Um, it's, you know, thank you for this podcast opportunity. There's so few times when I speak openly and candidly to white people about race or equity or, or, or privilege because the, the conversation, the walls go up mm. because I, often white people don't engage the conversation because what they hear is shame. They hear shame mm. rather than hearing the story. Mm. Um, so, um, so we just have to keep talking. We have to well, keep and, and as as you were served in an urban congregation in the Minneapolis area for almost twenty years, um, how how did that congregation reach out? How did you and the staff and others help that conversation, which is so important? How did you encourage that and foster that? That's a great question. Uh, that, the congregation I serve is a wonderful congregation. Um, and the, the challenge was that the conversation really had to be more than the people who were sitting in the pews. Mm. And it was when the church started seeing the neighborhood as part of the congregation. So that... Um, the the church is not defined by just the people who are in the pews or or the people that know how to worship the way that Lutherans worshiped when they got off the boat. <laughs> but but to actually have a relationship with the residents of the neighborhood and to say that um, that that treat them like they're members of the congregation. That when it comes to a relationship with a congregation, that they also have agency, right? Um, and and as a pastor, I know the challenge. But, um, when when we have the after school program, and the kitchen is left in disarray by members of the congregation, and it's no big deal, but when the after school program leaves the kitchen in disarray, it's the end of the world. Mm. So, so it's like, it really goes to that idea of membership. And like, who, it's that sense of belonging. Mm -hmm. 
it's that welcome that you felt way back at the very beginning but then how do we widen that circle and say who's not here and how can we engage in the conversation if a, if a person is listening and their their church has become kind of an enclave if you will what would be two or three examples you mentioned an after school program as one example to reach out to a neighborhood what would be another example or two that a congregation could um, engage in to uh, to to be involved with their neighborhood and to make church more than just the building um, it, i mean it, it's going to happen uh, for churches that have a future the churches that that are have vibrancy are churches that connect beyond their walls, uh, and so it's it's in their self interest. Uh, another one, and you know this, it's um, listen to your young people. Um, you know, I was the advisor for the Lutheran Youth Organization back in the nineties, and uh, it was the youth who were um, prophetic and. and uh, a relationship with GBLTQ people and, and people of color. And, and there was backlash, uh, but it was the church listening to the young people and living in the tension that really advanced the church to be who the church is today. And so in the church, churches that, that see confirmation as part of the journey of faith and empowerment of, of young people, giving them the keys to the church, uh, that young people can do more than um, become acolytes. Mm -hmm. it, it's really a part of that journey about um, like really the church being more an authentic relationship in every way. Um, you well, one of the things that helped me was I reframed the language of church for me and that then in recognizing that when we say that we worship, we're saying that everybody is welcome, everybody belongs because worship is extended not from us, but from God and God welcomes and says everybody belongs. That's the kingdom of God. So that's worship. So reframing that. And then the catechesis, the teaching of the church, is not just about what we know in our heads, but it's about experience and exploration. So it's cognitive, but it's a whole person. So the church is about worshiping, which is welcome and belonging. It's about catechesis, which is you know knowledge, experience, and exploration. And then finally, discipleship, witnessing, is about the fulfillment of our potential as a people of God. So to take that really you know, kind of cognitive head learning that, that the church invested in for so long, to actually open that language up into real life language that goes beyond you know, the, the academic intellectual learning of the church so that more people are empowered to, to know that they are the body of Christ. Um, so, so that's what worked for me in my congregation uh, in, um, in Minneapolis, and to some degree in, in Portland as well. 
Well, when you, you mentioned young people, of course, you and I, that's how we met working with young people. And, and, and I, I, I really resonate with what you say about listening to them and hearing what they have to say. And what, what I see, obviously, um, is a lot of young people this, these days obviously struggling, not just young people of color, but young people in general struggling. What do you hear young people, whether in your church or in your neighborhood, or as you look across the country, what, what do you hear them saying? And what, what do we need to hear uh, from them? And what, what is the wisdom that you gather from their voices? I think the danger is that the young people get it better than we do. And mm. that if you look at you know, the protests or the marches, I'm not talking about violence. I'm talking about the public witness. Those are young people. And, and those young people used to be in our churches. But I think they probably hit a wall mm. where they saw that we're not really committed to what we've been teaching. So, and my experience is, and I, I cannot say this boldly enough, young people aspire to be people of faith and live their faith. The challenge is they're not likely to do it the ways that we try to have them assimilate to do it. You know, sitting in the pre on Sunday morning where the music is not their music. Um, mm. And um, I, mean, I just, they're not playing by our rules. Um, mm. but, but I would say, by and large, they are playing by our values, um, maybe, but, maybe more so than we are. But concretely, in the programs that I've been involved in, and this is not about me, but the Lutheran Volunteer Corps, uh, young people from the neighborhood community, they want to be a part of a, a, a witness uh, that, that enables them to live up their, to their potential as the people of God, but they're not able to do that through the restrictions that we put on them and how to do so. Um, I feel like there's an army out there, they're waiting to live in the kingdom of God. Mm. Um, but we're not inviting them to do it in a way that really works for them. Well, when you, when you speak about that, the kingdom of God or the, the rule or reign of God and, and kind of that, that key core message of what the church can communicate and be, how would, how would you describe that in, in this particular time? I mean, this is a unique time in history. How would you, um, how would you crystallize that in a way that you think might capture the imagination of young people? Uh, uh, be in relationship with them. I mean, walk with them. Um, uh, you know that from you know being at a college. It's like um, there, there is no barrier that cannot be crossed in, through relationship. And um, the, uh, you know the whole idea of accompaniment. And uh, you know, don't let diversity and or difference an excuse to not be in relationship. Um, and um, I mean, I can, 
I cannot say enough about how powerful that is. But it really actually goes back to, I mean, the witness of God. Jesus came into the world as a son of God, the reality of God, and he was constantly in relationship with people that, you know, the mainstream was saying you can't be in relationship with, you shouldn't be in relationship with. And Jesus just dives deep, more deeply into being in relationship with those people. Um, I, um, I just know that it works. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so. Jesus, Jesus was asked, who is my neighbor? And he, and he told a story, you know, who, who is the person in need? Who is the person that um, we can walk alongside of and care for? And, um, but he did it in lots of surprising ways. What are, who are some of the surprising ways today you think that, uh, that we as people of faith or just as people of goodwill uh, can accompany on their journeys? Um, one thing that comes to mind, it's not because those people are like uh, superheroes or, um, or attractive. I think we are in relationship with those people because we're called to be in relationship with them. And, and that there's a restoration that happens out of that. So maybe sometimes my greatest challenge and invitation is to be in relationship with somebody who's racist, mm. or somebody who doesn't get it, right? Mm. And, um, and that's, it's that movement, believing in the movement of God. So a story. So when I graduated from seminary um, and I didn't get a call, uh, I was on a call list with 22 other people <laughs> and, and I, I didn't get the call, surprise. Um, <laughs> and I had bills to pay and I had the opportunity uh, to interview and I was invited to take a position at Oregon Episcopal School, um, which is one of the most affluent schools in, in the in the Pacific Northwest, and they had a boarding school, and um, and so I struggled with that invitation to to accept that position because I was black, I had never grown up around wealth, and I didn't know if I could do it. And I said to God, "Well, my life's been pretty successful up until now, and if I take this position." then I will know that the gospel is true mm. if I don't fall on my face. <laughs> and, and it was a wonderful, it was one of the highlights of my, of my, of my life and my career. And those relationships where I've done weddings for former students, a, a castle in Germany, a, an island, Lanai Island, the same location where Bill Gates got married. My point about that is that, uh, the transcendence that happens out of relationship and really believing that the gospel is true. And so th that's not about Kelly Chapman. That's about walking our faith walk and being in relationship with people, not because they're better, but because it's an opportunity to, to live, out, live our faith. And that, that, for me, has also gone uh, to homeless people that I've been in relationship with, and you know, just seeing 
seeing the Christ that in the other. Um, and, and I really want to make clear, this is not, what I'm saying is not about Kelly Chapman. It, it's about, that's in all of us. Right? And, and it, it really goes back to what I, uh, Brian Stevenson talking about being in proximity right? and um, you know, being in those places we allow God to come through us. Um, and, and when I say through us, it's like we learn something mm. on our humanity and we learn something about God. Well, we're in challenging times, uh, as you well know, and, you know, you in Minneapolis and the Twin Cities and, you know, not too far away in Kenosha, Wisconsin and um, Portland, your your former home and you know, there's a lot of uh, anxiety and fear and, and um, it, it's, how do you find hope in the midst of this, uh, this time right now, this time of pandemic as well? Yeah, I, I, we share a common humanity. And, and the, the challenge and the hope is that when we can, when we can be in touch with that common humanity, those things that divide us are, um, they're put in their place. And so, and again, this has been my journey of going to a predominantly white suburban high school um, and, the, and seeing what divided us and not, not succumbing to that, not giving up. Um, and and, and that, that's less, about affirming you know, the, the privilege of that place. But for me, the challenge was, how do I affirm myself in the midst of that? And all of those messages of stigmatization and dehumanization that say, I'm a child of God, I have a right to be here. I have something to contribute. And the challenge of, of not retreating but staying in that community and hopefully a witness that such that my, my, my white brothers and sisters get it, you know, mm. uh, that they benefit uh, from, when I say my presence, I'm really talking about the presence of all black and brown and marginalized people that, that uh, there's a messaging that comes from the dominant culture the empire that co-ops our brothers and sisters who are white. And, uh, and I still love them enough that I, um, I, I, don't, I don't want the empire to win. <laughs> well, our, our relationship has been a gift to me and uh, the relationships you've established in different places and in different ways have been a blessing to uh, lots of people and and i know as you 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 retire from one ministry you've you've launched into a new ministry why don't you say a little bit maybe kind of as we wrap up about this um center for leadership and and neighborhood engagement i'm intrigued by your use of not only the neighborhood engagement but leadership what 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 is leadership what is that i mean that's a big question in our society today whether it be federal leadership national leadership what is that? How, how are you um, imagining that? 
I, I'll do that. But I, um, I also want to say um, thank you for um, this opportunity to do the podcast and and for all the wonderful positive things you say about me. But also, I want to say back at you in the ways that I see your passion and investment in in non-white people and your journey with your students and all of those places where seeing and embracing the diversity of your community. Um, and um, so, I mean, it, we're, we're all in this journey together. So. Amen. Uh, and so what I do now is I'm directing through the support of our Synod and our local Lutheran Social Services, um, uh, we've started a new venture called the Center for Leadership and Neighborhood Engagement. And it's to take what I learned and what I have a passion for at the healthiest congregations are congregations that are connecting with their neighborhood. And that neighborhood can be in the inner city, it can be in the suburbs, uh, but those uh, signs of vitality. And, and this, there is research to, to reinforce this from the ELCA that talk about um, congregational vitality and, and those, the metrics uh, as congregations that are, um, that see their ministry beyond the, the, the limitation of the walls of their buildings are the congregations that are the most vibrant or, and have those signs of measures of vitality. And, and this is my thing that I'd say a challenge for mainline denominations is that we have measured uh, membership as the, the primary way of, of how we see the healthiness of our congregations. And the Catholic model was that seeing that membership more in terms of the parish, mm. the geography. And, um, and so the, the center that I'm uh, operating now is more about uh, helping congregations uh, value and see their future being more connected to their neighborhoods. And so we do things like the IDI, the uh, Individual Development and Inventory, uh, community organizing, uh, and really, and, and when it comes to leadership, uh, it's, um, I mean, that's the language that we kind of work with, but <laughs> leadership is really, um, it's the baptism of all believers. It's like, um, you're empowered to be the people of God. Well, we wish you well in this new uh, chapter, which, which feels like a very natural, organic extension of your life and your faith and your ministry. And um, thank you for taking the time to share uh, your witness, to share your journey. And we look forward to, um, to hearing more about uh, how this center and your ministry evolves. And if people wanted to be in touch with you in other parts of the country, is it is it possible that you might uh, be in conversation with uh, more than the folks in Minnesota? Well, yeah, I would love to do that. Yes. Um, okay. They can contact me at k.chapman at clne.org. Uh, I'm sorry, k.chapman at clne-mn.org um, in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota.
Well, blessings to you, Kelly. Thanks again. And we look forward to uh, hopefully in the not too distant future, not just a, a Zoom or a virtual, but a real hug. Uh, brother, good to, good to be with you. And again, thanks for a great conversation. Yeah. Well, thank you, Dave, for the opportunity. Until next time, I'm Dave Ellingson, and this has been Say What? A Fresh Look at Old Sayings, the podcast which explores the origins, meaning, and value of old sayings, familiar expressions, and adages. Tune in to Say What? on your mobile device, computer, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And join me next time for our life journey conversation with a person who eludes easy description. He's part philosopher, part political scientist and historian, theologian, surfer, and Oxford-educated professor of Christ College, Irvine, Dr. Jeff Mallinson. For more information on my books and films, check out my website, dellingson.com. And thanks for listening.